Welcome to Maison Fleur, the podcast. I'm your host, Molly Hill. This podcast is all about natural living and how to get there without stressing out. We'll discuss easy tips to help create a healthier home, natural ways to care for our bodies, and so much more. have such a fascinating interview for you. I'm talking to August Bryce. She started as an investigative journalist and now is an expert in all things tech wellness. So we're covering a lot of ground today, everything from privacy concerns and cybersecurity all the way to mental well-being surrounding some of our technology and of course things like EMF, which there's so much information on the internet, but hopefully we can help clarify some things today. And just a quick note, apparently during this interview, my microphone was having some sort of malfunction. I've had some experts do their best to clean up the audio, but just please bear with me. This is such a great interview. We had such a good conversation, so I didn't want to lose this entire interview. Hi, August. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Molly, it's so great to be here. I can't wait to chat with you. Well, I have to admit that this is probably one of the hardest times I've had narrowing down my questions for somebody I was interviewing. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I learned so much from your Instagram and you always, you'll post about things that I just had no idea about. It blows my mind. So I was like, started out with a super long list and I was like, I need to consolidate some of this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Tech wellness covers a lot of territory, doesn't it? It sure does, but it's all so important too. Yes. It's also important, but there's just so much going on in the world of digital technology. So there's a lot to talk about. So great. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. First, I guess I wanted to start out just having you tell us a little bit about your background and what originally got you interested in how digital technology can impact our health. Well, what originally got me interested is the fact that I have electromagnetic hypersensitivity, which means I can feel the energy coming from my phone and it doesn't feel good. And I realized this 30 years ago, the first time I picked up a cell phone. It's an interesting thing that happened because I would always talk about this because it's just, it's been going on for so long. And so it allowed me to not become completely obsessed with my phone like other people were once the new technology kept coming out. And this is again, 30 years ago. Just recently, my daughter found a video from Christmas when I got this first cell phone. And she said, mom, you know how you always say that you felt the energy from the phone and it didn't feel good? She said, I saw it. And I said, really? She says, yeah, it's, it's there in the recording. So we pulled it up and sure enough, I'm getting this phone for Christmas and I pick it up and my husband says, turn it on, turn it on, you know, and I turn it on and immediately I shiver from feeling the energy and I push it and I take it away from my head. (laughs) Right. So yeah, well, you know, it's happening now to more and more people. So I'm not such an alien anymore, but back then, you know, it was unusual, but some people are sensitive to the invisible electromagnetic fields of energy that come from all of our wireless devices. Some people are also sensitive to electricity in the same way. Now, I'm not as bad when it comes to electricity and my body can even sense the difference between like what the Wi-Fi energy feels like and the cell phone energy feels like. But I think the reason that I'm so sensitive is because the radio frequency, so that's the way, it's, it's the wave, it's called the radio frequency wave, radio frequency field, it's called EMF, and EMF, electromagnetic fields, one type is RF. And the reason that this RF is so disturbing to my biology and to many people's biology is because they've put so much data on that wave, you know, so we can download a movie in five seconds and we can text and, and talk like we are now, except I'm not using wireless, I'm wired up, but many people are probably listening to me on a wireless device. So it's what's done to that wave that makes it very unnatural. So we call them man-made radiation. So this man-made electromagnetic radiation is what's causing a lot of people to be sensitive because we have so much more of it now. So I hear from a lot of people that they feel effects around Wi-Fi, they get a bad headache, they get close to their phone, up to their ear, and then they get ringing in the ears and their fingers are numb. So these are all examples of sensitivity. Wow. And so were you able to 
pinpoint? I mean, I imagine 30 years ago, with all of this being so new at that point in time, was it pretty obvious to you where it was coming from? Or were you like, what is happening? You know, because I feel like it, that was probably unheard of then. Well, the funny thing was, is I just assumed everyone could feel it. So I was so careful not to let my children get near it. And I would say to my husband, doesn't that hurt? Like, how can you be on the phone that long? Does, aren't, aren't you feeling terrible? And, you know, people would look at me like, what are you talking about? But fortunately, about 15 years ago, I met the man who wrote one of the best books ever on uh, cell phone radiation. And he explained to me that this was a sensitivity and that I was sort of a canary in the coal mine. But even so, even though my, my body was very intuitive. And so I just knew to stay away. And because I stayed away, it was easy to see the other things that were happening with digital technology, you know, the obsessions, the maladaptive behavior of people, you know, thinking their cell phone was connected to them and, and the nomophobia and the FOMO and, and the privacy issues. Because about 15 years ago, I started a website where I wanted to sell what gave me great relief, which were air tube headsets. Because air tube headsets have this tube of air that stop any extraneous radiation that could be coming up the wires from getting to your head. And it also allowed me to be a good three feet from my phone. And so I started offering these to other people. And, you know, I sold a few of them, but the thing that I saw that really alarmed me was that I could see their credit card and I could see their address and I could see each time they came back to my site and I could see every place they visited and every page they read. And I thought, wow, if I can see this, I wonder if other people understand that everything they do online can be seen by someone. And so that's when I really started exploring the privacy issues as well. Yeah, that's incredible. That's really something that's weighed heavily on me. I know some people aren't as concerned about it, but especially being a parent, that's something that's been on my mind a lot. For somebody who's kind of, this is all a new topic, I just wanted to take a second and maybe you did actually just explain a little bit about EMF and that particular frequency that's disrupting, you know, or causing your body to have sensitivity to it. But what are some of the common health concerns that are associated with exposure to it? Things that I'm sure there's things that people don't even realize are connected. Okay. Yeah. Just particularly about EMF yeah. or EMF radiation. And like some people call that information carrying radio waves because that, you know, determines the difference between something that doesn't have data on it, like your garage door opener and anything that has a wireless component. So we're, we're talking about the ring and the nest and the Sonos and your phone and your Wi-Fi. There are so many sources of it now. And I think the best way to explain how it works is that it comes from the antenna and it's all EMF dissipates with distance. So if you can think of that antenna like a cigarette smoke and it's the tip of the cigarette and then the smoke flows from it, but it gets less and less as it goes out into the air, that's the same way it works with EMF. So distance is your friend when it comes to EMF. And some of the health effects that have been found in very solid peer-reviewed research studies range from many, many different things from sleep to cancer. And yes, and I have a whole section on our website, techwellness.com of research. I try to pull the most recent and the best research studies. And there are so many different studies related to so many different things from melatonin and sleep to infertility and reproductive health. So we can find connections to so many things in our bodies and the dangers from the EMF. But suffice to say, it definitely has a biological effect. And I like to think of it and make it easy for other people to understand it by just saying, it's just another toxin like smoke or chlorine or the pesticides. They will all have a biological effect and we're all better off if we can avoid them whenever possible. That's a great way to put it. That makes it very understandable. The analogy of the smoke makes a lot of sense as well. I know recently there's been a lot of, I guess you could say, EMF safety gear on the market, things that, cases that might try to block it on our phones or iPads or even computers. I've even seen blankets that you would supposedly put on your lap to block it. 
clothing, things like that. Are those things, are they reliable? And do you feel like they actually work to help mitigate some of the EMF exposure? My, that's such a good question. And yes and no. And yes, because of course the material does have the ability to block the radiation and the way it blocks it, all of these everything that you just said, all those different things that can block radiation do so because they have metallic fiber or metallic threads woven into this material. And so when the radiation waves hit that material, they don't get absorbed. So it's not like they're disappearing. They're being reflected. They're being bounced away. And there's no control of the waves. We don't know where they're going to bounce, if they're going to bounce up or down or sideways. But I did a video recently because somebody asked me to please try their shielded clothing, even though I've never recommended it. And even though there's a very good research study that explains this phenomenon, and I don't want to recommend anything that could hurt someone. And so I put the t-shirt on and I showed how without the t-shirt behind the phone, the radiation was half the level. What happened in the room when I put the t-shirt up against my body and the radiation went out towards the meters and the meters were four feet away and it doubled by the way. And that's because that those all those waves, like think about the smoke, the smoke is going towards something and you're reflecting it away. Well, it's going to pool, right? And then it's going to pull up and then go the other direction. So that's the same way it can work with electromagnetic fields. And like if you're wearing a t-shirt on the edge of the t-shirt, you could be subjected to way more than you would be if you didn't have the shirt on at all. Now, is the shirt covering your organs? Yes, it is. So your organs are not being touched by electromagnetic radiation. However, your thyroid, your face, your eyes, your brain, the best way to use any of this shielding is to completely shield up. And I have seen this before. I've met people at electromagnetic conferences or EHS conferences that are covered head to toe because they are wildly sensitive to the EMF. And they wear, they they look like a hazard suit, you know, the full jumpsuit. Their feet are covered, everything's covered because they understand that that radiation can affect them holistically, even if it's just on their feet. Because it's not like it just affects your feet. It it goes into your body, it goes into your biology, and it affects you on a cellular level. It's funny when you were saying about it bouncing around, I was thinking the person covering their lap with a blanket, but yet they're probably looking down at their computer with their face and head and everything just right there. It's bouncing right back at it. You know, on that same topic, I've been so curious. So, of course, there's smart meters now outside of people's homes and they have the Faraday cages for them. To me, it looks like you'd be funneling more of it into your home rather than deflecting it outside of your home. What are your thoughts on those? Well, it's interesting because the antenna, now, and a lot of people do go the extra step and to exactly what you're talking about, and they shield then inside, so on the other side of that meter. So you've got the meter, you've got it covered, you've got the little screen around it, and you would think, that it would reflect. I have a video that the people's smart meter cover that, that I recommend. I have a video from them on my website where they did the test and they found that they weren't getting a reflection back because the antenna was located so far on the outside of the meter. However, if it were me, and if I wanted to make sure that there was no radiation coming into my home, I probably would take that extra step and make a you know four foot square shielding material on the other side of the meter as well. And so then I could be sure that it wasn't reflecting directly back into my home. But more than anything, I would get a meter and I would verify that what I was doing was helping the situation. And I would verify whether I had a situation to begin with. I think that's so important. And that's what I invite people to do with their shielding. And they'll see that it's not 100% of the time, but there are times when it increases. And when it does increase, it's so dramatic that it's really scary and will probably convince them to take other measures. And those other measures are typically wiring up. I really encourage people to get rid of their smart meter completely do whatever they can to go to the city, go to the utility. Fortunate 
for me, I'm very fortunate that I live in a state where you can have your smart meter removed, but I understand in some states you can't, but then that's why we have to speak out. And as far as meters go, do you find that the meters on the market or particularly, I'm sure you have some on your website that you recommend, are they pretty reliable as far as what they're reading that they're giving you? Yes. And you know, thank you for bringing up that point. I only recommend calibrated and certified meters. I wouldn't buy a meter from Amazon. I would buy a meter from a trusted resource. And so our meters are made well. Some One meter I recommend is by Trifield. And I've worked with William Lee. I mean, I had Trifield ma- meters made just for me, hundreds of them, with him when he was making them back in his garage years and years and years ago. And he's got a very nice product. And then, of course, Safe Living Technologies makes a great, the Gigahertz Solutions makes a great product. But you'll see that they're you know, probably a little bit pricier than the ones that you can find on Amazon that aren't certified and aren't calibrated, which is also very important because you have to know that you're getting an accurate measurement. And that's why meters must be calibrated. I used to send my meters out just to be calibrated before I ever used them just to take that extra step. But now most manufacturers that I recommend are calibrating them before you ever open the box. So that's important. Kind of on the same vein that we're talking about, I I feel like even our appliances have turned against us because, you know, all of them now can be hooked up to smart meters and everything else. And for the record, I actually did try to use my dishwashers once when it wasn't working. It did nothing. It did not. So you have a smart dishwasher? I actually just replaced it because it kept breaking, but I did have one for three or four years. We bought it. We were staying for our 10-year honeymoon, and the week we're leaving, our dishwasher broke. So I did zero research. You know, I just went and bought an LG to hope that it was delivered while my mom's here stuck with the kids hand-washing all the dishes. <laughs> um, I get it. Yeah, and so I didn't actually realize till it came that it had this thing on the side that supposedly, if you have an app, you can just hold your phone up to it, and it can give some sort of readout. The dishwasher was horrible. It never worked right. It was like a disco light show every night and sometimes would never run, you know, so we actually replaced it with a non-smart dishwasher. Good for you. Uh, Did you ever put a meter up to it? No, I don't have a meter, but now after following you and talking about all this, I want to get a meter and I kind of even want to test my one now just to make sure. It's a good practice just to walk around the house with a meter. And I was doing a consultation just yesterday and the person I was talking to said, no, I don't want to get a meter because I think I'll be paranoid. And I said, oh, don't use it that way. Just as you bring new things into your home, test them, then put it away just for your own peace of mind. Because you don't know until you know. And so a meter can empower you to help keep your home safe. And so I don't know, Molly, if you heard, but I did get an LG washer and dryer that was a smart washer and dryer, completely like you by mistake. I replaced my washer and dryer that was the same model, same unit that I had before because it worked on these pedestals. And it comes and I'm in my, I'm doing laundry and I'm getting the worst headache. Okay. So I leave, come back later and I'm doing laundry again. And I'm like, wow, what's going on in my perfectly EMF free home? Something wild is happening here. I got my meters out because I thought, you know, we had somebody come in doing construction in that room and I thought, oh, I bet they left something here. And so I got the meter out and whoa, I was like inside a Wi-Fi. It was crazy how high the radiation levels were. I, like you, went on that app. That LG app is useless, honestly. And then I reached out to LG on Facebook and Instagram and I emailed them and I said, please show me how to turn this off. Well, you cannot turn it off. You cannot disable the Wi-Fi on any LG appliance. Now I've learned I'm never going to get an LG appliance again. And it was so great because a lot of people weighed in on my dilemma, you know, recommending different washers and dryers. And so I'm going to make a list of all those washers and dryers that are still wireless free. But in the meantime, we were able to have an appliance repair company come out, take the washers and dryers apart. And we found with our meters, the exact location of the Wi-Fi and disabled it. And our washers and dryers work perfectly and have absolutely zero EMF. And so they just did it manually, maybe removing that part of it? 
Yes, they showed us where it, it was great. We found out where it was. I was afraid to touch it, but the appliance repair guy just, boom, took it off. And I said, oh my gosh, is it going to work? And we pressed go and it did. And so I'm just, I'm delighted. I'm loving my washer and dryer now. And the nice thing about it, I know that there are probably some warranty issues, but you know, they said, oh, here, Will, we can ascertain what's wrong with your, your appliance. You know, I think that's what you're saying with the app that, you know, they supposedly can make it work, but actually in your case, it didn't, but I can just open it back up and connect it again if necessary. Oh, I see. Okay. I didn't destroy it is what I'm saying. I just disabled the connection. Yeah, that makes sense. Now that we're, you're saying all this, I also have to admit that I have an LG washer and dryer. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Does it say smart? It does. Those, they're like six or seven years old, so it says smart. I don't know what all it does, but I've had to take them apart before with the help of my dad to fix. We had a water leak and something else. I actually think I would be able to, probably with the help of my dad, go in and take that out my, or disable it myself. Well, we've got a video and I'm about to post it and I'm about to post a PDF with the exact directions on how to do it. Protect your washer and dryer and rid yourself of the antenna, which is the exact same thing I did with my solar system. Uh, It was a little more intense though, because I had to have an electrician come out. We opened it up. We found the antennas. There were two of them and we actually had to unscrew them and take them out, not just disable. So now they're, they're like my little trophies, these two three-inch antennas that sit on top of the solar system that are no longer connected. That's awesome that you've been able to get to the bottom of it with these specific appliances and other things. I'm willing to bet as time goes on, it's going to be harder and harder to find appliances or other gear and gadgets around the house that don't have this included with it. I started Tech Wellness and I just started it in 2018. I had other websites before. But I started it to be a platform of information with experts. And the main thing I wanted to do was introduce solutions to empower people so they could live balanced with their technology, not controlled by it and not avoid it completely, but to live in balance. Because, you know, there's all kinds of things about our technology that can be harmful to our minds, our bodies, our spirits, our safety. You know, it just... Technology has so many different effects, and I want to get to the level where they're just safer and healthier and more pleasant to have this technology in our lives. Yes, that's a great attitude to have because I do think there has to be a way to live, I almost want to say, in harmony with it, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. One thing that I've gotten asked about quite a bit, which I don't know why I'm getting these questions because I have no idea about this topic, but People have asked me about webcams or for the doorbell specifically, like the ring and stuff and asked what I know about that. And if that's a significant source of EMF or anything else, I've avoided those honestly, personally, just for privacy reasons. But yes, I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on those. I think it's important, just like the little tiny Wi-Fi connection that was in my washer and dryer to see the amount of radiation that was coming out of it to think that in all of our wireless devices, especially like these rings and these Nest cameras, they have Wi-Fi's in them. They are Wi-Fi enabled. And so it's just like sitting next to your Wi-Fi. So if you're comfortable with the Wi-Fi being on the front porch and knowing that it's, you know, right against your living room couch, then you'd be comfortable with a camera. But I think most people are getting to the point, especially people who listen to your show, are to the point where they understand that this isn't a healthy choice, that this is spewing an invisible toxin that's coming sometimes in the case of a Wi-Fi. I just did a video on a, on a Wi-Fi showing that it was a good 20 feet that that radiation was traveling because a Wi-Fi is stronger. And so the power is important and the amount of power coming from a nest and a ring is quite high. So in fact, they're actually polluting the neighborhood. It's, it's unfortunate, but that's how they work. And so I would definitely recommend against it. And like you said, for privacy reasons, but also for the EMF and, you know, there are wired options, you know, and still today, big companies do not use wireless security cameras because they know how fallible they are. 
They want something that's solid and works all the time. And so their systems are all hardwired. Well, I don't even know if I'm going to say the right program name, but there's something that they unrolled called the sidewalk where Amazon sidewalk. Yeah, that's really sad, isn't it? Because the Amazon sidewalk is taking the bandwidth of all Amazon items, anything, and it is creating a mesh network. So it's like a whole new system. And it's using that data and connecting it. And it's a network. That's what I was trying to say. Like the AT&T network, like the Comcast network. It is a network. It can do this and says that it wants to do this so that it can track all of its items within that network. So there's a huge privacy issue and it's a huge EMF issue because it's a, a mesh network all connected and it's just putting more and more wireless radiation into our environment. If we could see it, like I said before, if we could see it as a haze or smoke, we wouldn't be probably buying any Amazon item that was part of this network. Because we'd say, hey, that's not fair. It's polluting the environment. Right. I personally just don't like the Amazon experience of getting a package the way I received them, you know, in this big box. It doesn't need to be that big. And, you know, it's just no sense of arrival. Anyway, yeah, there's, we could talk about that a lot, how they're hurting commerce, but yes. Yes. Commerce, the environment, everything. Well, another thing I wanted to talk about before we dive into, you know, privacy and things like that is the kill switch, which, and maybe it's best if you kind of explain a little bit about what that is, but that's something I've been diligently trying to talk my husband into getting, but so my question is, how would you explain that to people? And so then, you're talking about a whole house electricity kill switch, correct? Yes. Or even one just for all the... Room by room. Yeah. Yes. I think that these are great. And it's just like going into your circuit board and flipping off the circuits to particular rooms. And the reason you don't want to do that is because that can backfire and it can cause your circuits to break really quickly if you're turning them off and on all the time. But these whole house kill switches, they're expensive, right? And they need to be put in by an electrician, but then you end up with a switch right by your bed and you can turn off the electricity room by room. And what that does is it makes it like you're camping in your bedroom. You know, you're, you're camping in the living room. It's really nice. It's lovely for people whose children are having difficulty sleeping or people themselves who just, you know, just aren't feeling great. If I was battling a scary illness, I might try this. Fortunately, I don't need one because as I said before, my home is EMF free. It's a clean house, but it was built this way. So all of my wires are shielded. So I don't have any extraneous dirty electricity. I don't have electrical fields. I don't have magnetic fields in my home. But before I did that kill switch, I would find out if I did. I think that's the number one thing to do. If the levels, there are levels, I have a chart talking about electric and magnetic fields, and there are acceptable levels that were determined by studies and what the building biologist uses and the bioinitiative report used to determine quote unquote safe sleeping area levels. If I came under those levels in a particular room, then I wouldn't go to the trouble of putting the switch in. Okay. But I would turn my Wi-Fi off every night if I had one. I feel like on your Instagram, maybe I saw where you have, do you have special plugs that have a like a remote or something where you can turn it off? Yeah. And, and you know how this came to be, Molly? So 15 years ago, when we had our internet in our old home, we had a Wi-Fi and I didn't really remember then. I didn't know exactly what was going on. I knew that I didn't feel good. I could just tell. So my husband bought a Wi-Fi and put it in our TV room. I couldn't go in the TV room anymore. I just would get sick every time I was in there. He asked me to watch a TV show one night. I said, I can't, I can't sit there. It hurts. He said, why? And I go, I think it's that Wi-Fi. I don't like it. And he said, oh, and he went and got a remote and he said, anytime you're in here, babe, just turn it off. And so I did. And that's how we developed our Wi-Fi kill switch. It's a remote and it just makes it so nice and so lovely to be able, if you have a Wi-Fi, to control it with the touch of a button anywhere in your home. It goes for a hundred feet. It's just one pulse of infrared and 
You can just pop your Wi-Fi off and on. It's really great if you want to do that so that your kids don't access the Wi-Fi. And it's also great to avoid the EMF whenever you're not using it. Yeah, that probably sounds more like what we need to get instead of the whole house. It's $24. It's just so nice. It's just, And it's just such a great reminder to realize that you have a lot of control over this you know, over screen time, over the EMF. Like you said, now you're going to check your washer and dryer. You saw that you could find a replacement for your dishwasher that wasn't wireless. We can make so many good choices just to put ourselves in a healthier environment. That's a great way to put it to you. It's, it really is choice by choice. It's not with anything, any toxins in the home or you know, even looking at beauty products. I always say, if you look at everything at once, you're going to be overwhelmed. But if you slowly are gaining knowledge about it, it empowers you to make better choices anytime you do have a purchasing decision coming up or if you want to make small changes along the way. Exactly, Molly. And by the way, I am all about total and complete healthy lifestyle. So, you know, we had, when we built our home, Uh, low VOC or no VOC, no off-gassing services. Everything is natural. From the time I was 17, I discovered organic and have been eating organic ever since. And I know that this is what you talk about on your podcast. And I think it's really, this is a a look back in time for people like you who are, are younger and probably don't remember, but there was a time and my husband and I were representing grocery store advertising the store that we were working with sold to Kroger. And we had the opportunity to speak to the president of Kroger. We were talking about the success of this store that we had been representing and how, you know, the insights that we had found out. And I said, you know what would be really great? You need to start caring more organic. Because of my urging for years and years, had started to carry organic milk. And I was all about shopping organic. And so I couldn't go to a regular grocery store and do a shop. I always had to find the organic markets. And that was fine for me. But I thought, why are we keeping so many people from this opportunity? And you know what he said to me? He said, well, you know what? Kroger doesn't do that. We don't create the trends. We follow them. And so when something is successful, for sure, if people show us that they want organic, we will carry it. Well, now if you go into, and this was years ago, it's probably 16 years ago, but now when you go into any Kroger-owned store and probably most supermarkets around the country, you have the opportunity to buy organic. And that is because more and more people started exercising that option to purchase organic. When I was 18, and people who have listened to this podcast know my story, but I had malaria of all things, and I was trying to feel healthier and I got really into nutrition and I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. So we're probably a good bit behind California as far as organic and things go. You know, I knew that's what I needed to seek out, but it was nowhere. There was one grocery store on the other side of town, like 45 minutes away that had some stuff. Yeah. It's been interesting to see it slowly come into the stores and become more and more mainstream. And I'm happy to see that, but it really does show that the more we as the consumers ask and demand for these things, it does make a change. Exactly. Exactly. Because now it's gotten to the level of the farmers and the producers and huge companies are are giving us organic options because we spoke with our, our wallet and said, yes, this is what we want. This is what we need. That's what I hope for the wired option as well. I heard that Apple is now going to come out with a laptop that actually has what's called the RJ45. And it's that Ethernet connection. All old computers used to have it where you just take your Ethernet cord without an adapter and plug it right into the computer. I thought this is so great because just a few years ago, they were talking about a laptop that had absolutely zero connections. You could only use it wirelessly. I think that somehow they're getting the message. I hope that everyone listening gets the message too that Wired Up is the best option for healthy tech use. Yeah, and that's great to know that they are kind of coming back around for some of those. Actually, I'm going to touch on that again here in a few minutes when we talk about kids. Before we get into some of that stuff, I wanted to talk about privacy because you have completely blown my mind. I feel like I'm a pretty private person online. If I didn't have a blog, I would probably have zero social media presence. 
I feel like Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec, you know, when he's like, <laughs> the internet's tracking me. And then he like took his computer and threw it away. Like, that's me. <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> I totally, I try not to put personal information out there, but I'm still shocked at how much is out there without me intending. The thing that really got to me the most that you posted about recently is the issues with the wireless key fobs. The air tags. Yes. yes. And I yes. could not believe that. And it's such a danger for people being stalked and things like that. So do you mind talking a little bit about that and how we can keep ourselves safe? You know, isn't that a, a crazy story though, really? And anyway, I keep seeing it more and more and more. And Apple came out with a proposal to make them a little bit safer, but we went, we went and got some and we had a girl that works with us said, yes, you can track me. She put them in her, it's a great video. She put them in her purse and we watched as we tracked her and could see everywhere she was going for three days, every place she went. Now here's the bad thing about these. They connect similarly to the Amazon neighborhood or sidewalk program. They connect to every other Apple device. So an air tag will can be sensed by anybody who has an iPhone and anybody who has their location services enabled. So if you have location services enabled, you could be actually serving to track someone else's AirTag. The problem is a lot of people are using these as bad actors and following people and putting them on cars and stealing cars by watching them get into the driveway and then no one's there. And so they take the car. It's just, they're very, very scary. The problem with AirTags is the person that we were tracking got a notification once but it was in over 24 hours. So she was being tracked for 24 hours without even knowing it. And she said that she got into her car because she, she left it in her car. She knew it was there and it was in her bag. She knew exactly where it was. And she was paying attention. You know, she was listening for it. And she heard a little tiny da 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 da. And I have all of these sounds on the video and I encourage everyone to watch the video and listen to the sounds because the sound that the AirTag owner will hear is loud and it goes on and on. But the sound that someone who is being tracked without the AirTag owner initiating the sound will be very, very faint and will only alarm once. And she was able, and then you can go on to your, if you have an iPhone, if you have location settings enabled, you can go onto your iPhone and I show the screenshots in uh, the story, but you can see in other items with me, it's, it's a setting at the bottom, other items with me, you tap on that and you can see if an air tag is quote unquote with you. But the problem is it recalibrates every six hours or something. I put, I put the exact time in the story and this is according to Apple. And so it waits again for that air tag to be with you a certain amount of hours before it shows up again. And even if you see an air tag is with me and you press that, it won't show you where it is. And it only plays a sound once. So if it's played the sound once, it won't play it again. And you'll be looking and going, Oh my gosh, how do I get rid of this thing? You could get an EMF meter and turn everything else off and track it that way. But these are really, really scary. And so the best thing I can recommend is, first of all, we shouldn't buy into it. We shouldn't get one. I mean, they're for our keys, right? So they really shouldn't even be tracked by other people because how many other people are going to have our keys? And if we leave them somewhere, we'll know that they're in a certain restaurant or in a certain area. So maybe they should only you know, emanate their field a certain distance. So anyway, Apple is taking these things into consideration. You can go on their site, they're going to make changes, but they said they're not going to make them for six months and they're working on it. So they're scary tags is what they are. They're very, very in the wrong hands. They're not good. So the only thing that you can do personally is if you turn off your location services and you don't have location services enabled in your computer or around you, it won't pick up that AirTag if the AirTag owner has put one on your car. So it could get your location from a car next to you on the freeway or next to you in a driveway. But if you're not enabled, there's a better chance that the AirTag 
that's been put on you surreptitiously or put in your bag or your pocket. Somebody, somebody had one put into their jacket pocket, apparently in New York, a model wrote a story about it, that if she didn't have her location services on, it wouldn't have picked up when she walked away from somebody else who had their location services on. So you're a little bit safer if you disable location services. That is scary. And there's a myriad of devices now. People have their phones. I have several people in my extended family that have watches on constantly. And probably tons more here. But I'm sure there's a lot of in-depth stuff to go into as far as privacy concerns with all of this. But what are some of the key things that people, like just the basics that people can do? The very basics? Turn your location services off. And the reason why is because this is a a hack that can be, I'm not saying that everyone's tracking you, but some apps you actually have allowed your location. So disable your location on app by app by app for sure. Especially does Instagram need your location? Does Facebook need your location? Does that health tracker app? Does any app really need to know your location? The only app that actually should and maybe you want to have your location is the one that finds your phone. But for me, I've disabled all my location services. So that's number one. If you really don't want to be tracked, but still, did you know your GPS works even without your phone being on? It's a different mechanism. It's a different antenna and it works with satellites up in the sky. So if you really want to be blocked, then you put your phone in a Faraday. That's the only thing that works. At home, people put them in their their microwave oven because it's a complete metal surface or any kind of oven. But I just keep mine in a Faraday all the time because I just don't want my location tracked. You can disable your microphone, which I would too. It's all under privacy settings in Android too. So just don't give apps the access to your microphone because it's just one more way that an app could not only get into your microphone, but also allow another bad app, some malware to get in, access your microphone. Don't give your apps your camera accessibility. And when you do, say you're doing an Instagram story or posting something on Instagram that you want to take a picture of, immediately go in and disable it afterward. Those are very basic privacy ideas. And the Faraday is a more advanced, but you also your mic won't work inside the Faraday. The phone goes off, so there's there's nothing there. Your camera's off. So Faraday is just a nice, quick, safe choice for privacy. Those are great tips. I am happy that I'm doing most of those, although I don't do the Faraday. I have watched a video about they took three different phones. One, they just turned the location services off. One, they completely turned the phone off, and one was just normal and drove all around town. And when they got back to wherever their headquarters were and had the IT person you know, pull up all the data from the phones, the one that was off actually had the most detailed data. Isn't <laughs> um, that scary? Yeah. yeah. And that's every that, staff those they internal. Yeah. There are several different kinds of antennas and what's the other word? They just starts with like a gyroscope kind of thing. But anyway, they're all inside the phone. And so they're constantly getting information, but they won't get the information in the Faraday. That's what you found, right? That's what the, did you say that one of the things was a Faraday? They didn't use it on there, but I know through what I've read and then through you that this is the best way. So yeah, I mean, that's the way that you can have no one track you. There are sensors. And by the way, that this brings up something interesting that there's a new setting on iPhone that allows the phone's battery to stay on even when you've turned your phone completely off, not on airplane, completely off. And so you really need to go in and disable that capability. And they have a step-by-step walkthrough on that because if you don't, your phone is essentially on, sending out signal, and so it's dangerous for the EMF, and also sending out your location if you have that on. It's designed to work with the Find My Phone and help other people work with their Find My Phone. This is why they said they've done this. So that's just a little heads up. Yeah, thanks for that. I was sitting here thinking, why on earth would they do that? And I guess that does make sense for the Find My Phone, but if I want my phone off, I want it completely off. Right. And so now even more so, I'm even more aware of putting in my Faraday when it's off because I'm thinking, wow, is that, even though they say that you can disable it, once you know they have the technology to not disable it, even when it's completely off, you start thinking, wow, you know, 
got to be really, really aware. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I do want to touch on kids a little bit. You know, I have a nine and an 11 year old and gosh, I feel so unprepared for all of this because, you know, my son, a lot of the people in his class, he's in fifth grade, that they already have phones. Some of them have TikTok accounts and I'm on TikTok and I'm like, there's so much that's inappropriate. Right? <laughs> so I, I feel like a prude, but, you know, beyond that, because I don't want to, you know, of course, every parent needs to judge what is acceptable for their own child. But I just, even for privacy and things like that, or I think about self-esteem, I just feel like this is such a big can of worms. But I guess I have a two-part question, you know, how can we as parents kind of foster a healthier relationship with screens for our children? And then on top of that, you know, how can we help kids learn to navigate all the privacy concerns? Right. Okay. Well, first of all, you are the keeper of the screens. It's part of parenting now. And so I think that number one, the best thing to foster a healthy relationship is for you to model healthy screen habits. And before you get them their own phone and before they go on social media in any way, like you were saying, you've got somebody on TikTok at, did you say nine or 10? They're in fifth grade, so the kids probably around 10. Okay. So, well, you know, Kids and Screens did a survey of a thousand people and found that 43% of parents had let their children have social media by the time they were 10. Now the law is 13. So, so Instagram tells you, you know, you have to be 13. That's a government law. And so, you know, our government isn't usually too conservative with things like that. So that should tell you something, but because what we're finding out about kids on social media is that, you know, the survey is like 81% say they feel more connected, but at the same time, 45% feel overwhelmed by all the online drama. And so 71% say they feel that they can show their creative side where 43% say they only post content that makes them look good to other people. So there's good and bad is what I'm saying. There's that connection. There's that creativity that they can represent themselves and be who they are. There's a sense of belonging. But at the same time, there's so many studies on depression, body dissatisfaction, alienation, cyberbullying, social anxiety. So this is something that as a parent, you really have to get involved with. So I would explore with them. I would show them that they don't have to post everything and what what's okay and what's not okay to post before you let them take the phone and do it themselves. And if it were me, I think I'd spend a lot of time looking at what they were doing on the phone. I would just be watching because you know your child and you know their moods. And the longer that you can wait to give them a phone of their own or to let them go on social media, the more they'll develop properly. Really, it's true. It's about how kids develop and have social connections at home first. You know, it's their attachment to their parents and their family that ends up making them and creating more self-esteem and keeping that self-esteem. They're not going to get it through social media is what I'm trying to say. They have to develop human relationships first. And so the longer that you can have with them and the more true life interaction you can have with them, the better and the more you can get involved. And when they do go online and help them see the difference between being online and being in real life with someone, I think that's super super important. And then of course, as you go on, you know, no screens in their bedrooms. You can do this by putting a charging station where everybody charges their phones at night, you know, put it in the living room in the family room. You can encourage device-free dinners. You can make sure that they don't have their devices while they're doing their homework. You know, you can just help them set healthy boundaries that will be really helpful for them when they're grown up too. You know, there's this interesting study that was done. And I was talking to a social media researcher and who looked at, who scanned the brains of kids that showed social media like addicted behaviors, because they, of course it's not registered as an addiction, but they were 
obsessive like behaviors and and they he could see all the differences but the main thing that he told me that was so interesting because i said well what about hand to eye coordination you know we hear about video games and and the benefits of playing them because you know so many things are digital these days. And so it's a great way to introduction, great hand-to-eye coordination. And he said, yeah, but you know what? The studies show that in order to give you that full benefit of hand-to-eye coordination and the sensory skills, one hour a week of video games, not one hour a day, one hour a week. I mean, it's a huge difference from what most kids are probably getting. (laughs) Right. And what you think they probably need, right? Be very intentional, excuse me, intentional about when they first start looking at screens. The American Pediatric Association says not before two. Dr. Kimberly Young, who was the expert on my website before she passed, said three, just so that they could develop the skills that I was talking about before and that you can really only develop those critical sensory motor skills that we get when we're babies, you know, you really only develop them by playing with physical toys. If you hand them a screen when they're two, they're not going to get that time that probably you did as a child. So that's important. That's an excellent point because I think people don't realize the importance of the tactile play, pretend play even, all the different types of play that take different senses than what is used with screens is really what develops the whole child. Right. And, you know, have you seen, especially like what you're talking about, the the kids that are 10 and have their own phones, that it's sort of feels like it's a right and not a privilege for kids. And I, and I think it's important that we all understand that our phones don't have to be a part of our life all the time that they really should be a privilege for us to use. They were developed to make our lives easier. And when they stop feeling that way, we need to put them away. And when kids first get a phone like it's a right, I think it sets up this mindset that, you know, it's something that they have to have and it's just part of what I do. And they get the wrong idea about how to use it because it can be a very dangerous tool. You know, not just for the radiation and the blue light, but also, you know, you're inviting a child to actually tour the entire world on their phone. They could, and they could see the darkest things. They might find the light, but there's a really good chance that they could find the dark too. And that's not going to help their development or their moods or their attitudes. So anyway, I think we just have to really respect the phone and realize it's not a toy and it's not a right. I really like that approach. And I mean, that's kind of how we've looked at it, but it is hard for the kid's perspective of feeling like they're the only one. And then also for the parent, like, you know, I hate to be like, yeah, you don't have a phone and we don't have plans to get you one soon. Like, You know, I just, I don't commit to anything because he's like, what about when I turn 13? And I'm like, I would say probably, but I don't want to sit here and draw a line in the sand and say, I'm when this date happens, you know, like I just want to feel out the situation kind of. You know, I did a podcast because I followed this girl called Tutus and Jerseys and her name is Jen. And she does what she calls screen-free summers every year. And she does not like, I think her son is 15 now and he still doesn't have a phone and he's the oldest, I think of five children. And it might be fun for moms of 10 and 11 year olds to follow her and see what those kids do and what they're like, because it shows you how they can actually exist without a phone. And I remember talking to her about, well, what do you do when you're not going to be on time to pick him up? And she said, well, I call the front desk. And isn't that great that you can still call the front desk at school and have communication with the front desk? And then, and then the front desk can communicate with your son and actually talk to him. I mean, it's those kinds of communication sets that we're missing in our lives. And it's not a bad thing. And she finds that for him, it's very freeing not to have the phone. Because also when we give a child a phone, we're kind of controlling them. And we want to, we want to know where they are, right? We want to be able to tell them to tell us exactly when they're coming home. And we want to tell them when we're picking them up. It's sort of like a tool of control. And so when her son in particular doesn't have it, he really does have the sense of freedom that maybe those of us who can remember not having a phone when we were young 
actually had. So, you know, there's pros and cons. That's true. As a teenager, I finally had a phone at 17, but it cost so much per minute. My dad's like, don't you ever use this unless you're stranded on the side of the road. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's great advice though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, so I'm like, yeah, I had a phone, but I actually didn't, you know, it's not like I was just chatting away with my friends. So for me, the biggest thing right now with, they don't have social media. My son does go on and do games that have like chat forums and things like that. So my big thing is always to say, you don't tell anybody your name. You don't tell anybody where you live, like even the city, your school. You don't give any identifiable things that would lead somebody to believe what city you're in or what school you go to or anything like that. But I may be more nuanced than that, but I wanted to kind of get your your take on it. No, really, Molly, those are great steps and so important. And this starts when they're even before they have their own devices, it starts with the parents not identifying their child's names, birthdays, addresses, whenever they can. Like if you if you sign up for one of these tracking apps for kids, like a Bark or a MyPact or one of those, you don't give your child's real name. Why? Why should you do that? And their real birthday and their schools, because they ask for that information. So we also have to be very careful with the information we give out about our kids, just like you're telling them that they need to be very careful. It's almost a good idea to make up a, a pseudonym or something that they they can fill the information out. Where are you from? Mars. Okay, great. So <laughs> anyway, but by giving a lot of games require your location. So I would be sure that your game console is not taking your location because that could identify where they are. And also I don't know how you really communicate this to the really younger kids, but you can help them protect their brand because anything they say online, anything they do, all of it, even in a game is being stored somewhere on some server. And we really don't know now how much those servers will be accessed in the future. Where will there be laws that they're nailed down tight or will there be laws where anything goes? We don't know. So I would be very aware of that and I would help my kids be aware of that because every time they're online, they're releasing some kind of data about themselves. And, you know, and the same with parents, anytime they post, you know, people start posting their ultrasound shots and a lot of those ultrasound shots have the data either on the shot or even just the metadata on that particular picture. You could do this. You can go online and download a photo to your computer and then use inspector. And you can often see the date and the place, the exact location where that photo was taken. You got to be careful of that. So so many things. That's why non-tech alternatives are always fun and, and easy. I think you've brought up an excellent point that I didn't even include in the questions, which is funny because it's something because of what I do, we've been all acutely aware of. And I have been talking to my kids about my son, Carson. He has a lot of really cool hobbies. He's into cubing, which is like similar to a Rubik's cube and you do it in a certain amount of time. And so he times himself and he has like tutorials for how to do it. And he wants to start a YouTube channel and all this stuff. I'm not ready for him to be on YouTube or anything, but through all this, you know, we've really talked a lot and I've explained to him a lot about how, you know, even if he's 13, say, and he says something kind of dumb offhanded comment on a video, once that's out there, even if you delete the video, that's out there. And if you're at a job interview 20 years from now, you know, that could be brought up or you just have no idea how that could be used. So I really have tried to drive home how, you need to really treat your online presence as a whole separate thing where you're being very protective of not only your identity, but just the things you say and do. Exactly. It's our brand. It's his brand. We all have a brand and we're building it day by day. And online, we're building it with every single input, every post that's either about us or every post that we make ourselves. So like you said, it could be available on a server, but at the same time, somebody could take a snapshot of it and it could come back later that way. Even if you deleted it, he deleted it, everybody deleted, still it could be there in just that time that it was up. We have to think about that too. It's kind of, it's a lot 
It really is a lot to think about. <laughs> it kind of takes the fun out of the internet a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and so does, you know, kidnapping and all that. Oh, that's really an important thing I want to, I would like parents to be able to communicate to children. People online aren't always who you think they are. Because anybody can say they're anyone. So, you know, once your son does have his YouTube site, I would say he should say who he is because he's going to be an expert, right? He's going to be an expert in cubing and he wants to have the trust that an expert should have if he's really good at it and if he's going to share information. So there are certain times when we really need to be ourselves online, there should be that transparency and that authenticity because that's the way that it would be nice if everybody was online. But then when you look at private accounts that are just from individuals and they say they're, you know, a 14 year old, there's no way to verify it unless there are other touch points. So if they're communicating with somebody online and you have never met them, you need to have some verification that they are who they say they are. And I'm talking about your, your kids. So if they're on a chat on a game and you think that you're gaming with a bunch of 10 year olds, wouldn't it be shocking if it was actually some 70 year old guy that was, or, you know, 60 year old guy talking to them and wanting to get other information from them or whatever, you know, you have to be really, really careful. So I think if you find out that your child's communicating with someone online, you do a search on that person and you find out, okay, you know, is this person really who they say they are? I'm so happy you brought that up. This is going to be maybe seem off topic, but it relates right back to this. There's uh, an unsolved murder case and I'm, I want to say maybe it's in Ohio, but I can't remember, but it's two 12-year-old girls. There's, you know, they managed to get video footage the girls did before they were unfortunately killed, but they're still trying to find the killer. But it, through the investigation, they have found this man, this middle-aged man who was in communication with one of the girls and some other girls online, they've come to find out. And he had a fake profile set up that he was a younger, you know, a young guy. And he's flirting and saying borderline inappropriate things and fishing and girls you know 14 15 years old don't know and they'll send photos trying to flirt back and things like that but like you said unless you have they might have a whole account set up with static pictures of them they could have gotten those pictures from anywhere so unless you really know who it is you shouldn't really be sending any of that stuff to anybody right exactly and so that's why i would really be involved in my teenagers communication online and a lot of these apps will do that for you. And I applaud the efforts of the apps, but I also want to bring up that they're getting all your information. They're getting everything that happens on your phone and everything that happens on your child's phone. And so I'm hoping that one of these apps comes out with a better privacy policy about not sharing anything, but I've read most of the policies and I see that they're just like, anybody else, you know, saying that they don't sell your information, quote unquote. However, the information is shared with this person and this person and this company and this company. So that's just a, a side note of things to be aware of when you're getting one of those tracking apps. If you don't feel comfortable or have the kind of relationship where you can look at that with your, with your kids. So were these kids texting or was it on a dating app or what, or was it Instagram or what were they looking for? I believe it was Instagram and Snapchat is what they said. It's so sad. And I don't know that it'll, if it'll ultimately be related to their case, but you know, as a parent, the whole thing just hits you in the gut, but then to hear that this sicko guy was on there catfishing very young girls, it just is even more gross. There are stories of that happening more and more, not the murders, but the catfishing. You know, I, I just did a, a guide yesterday about how to make sure that you're not catfished and not just catfished by people, but by companies. Because there, when a topic is trending, like EMF, there are a lot of people that want to jump in and do some clickbaiting, you know, link to this product that doesn't work and link over here to this one that might work. And so we have to really be mindful of where we're getting our information online. And that's another great thing to show your kids that people online, even companies, can have completely false personas in order to gain credibility with you so that you will trust them. And so you have to, when you go somewhere on a site, you know, you got to look for the video, you got to look for all the other social channels. 
of where this person could be represented. You have to look for background. And if all you see is one static picture, it's a pretty good clue that that's not really the person that they say they are. Yeah, that's very good advice. And so even if you were going to, like for a mom of a 14-year-old that doesn't want to be, or a 16-year-old, really, 14-year-old used to be really involved, but 16, 17-year-old, you know, that would be a good thing. Hey, when you start communicating with somebody online, make sure they show you lots of pictures. Have them do a video before you flirt back. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's so simple. They can get on and say your name and say, hey, how are you today? Yes, exactly. And then then you can start flirting back at 17. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. I was a controlling mom, but anyway. <laughs> that's okay. You kept your kids safe, right? <laughs> oh, very. Yes. Yes. Um, I still appreciate all your time today. I wanted to have you tell everyone where they can find you and where they can find so many of the products we talked about today. Oh, thank you, Molly. Okay. So the website, is techwellness.com. We've got hundreds of articles, tons of research, and we have probably a hundred videos that you can watch and that talk about all aspects of digital health, blue light and EMF and, you know, distractions. And then we also have a Instagram tech wellness. I'm on LinkedIn tech wellness, Pinterest and Facebook. Awesome. And I will say your I mean, I've, I go on your website a lot and look around, and but I also have just learned so much, even just from the quick snippets you post on Instagram. It's so helpful. Oh, that's so nice to hear. And yes, all the products are available on Tech Wellness as well. And if not, I have links to things that I recommend that I don't carry, like that whole house switch you're talking about. Awesome. Yes. I'm going to go check that out right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Camp in your living room. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or at least I think I could at least talk my husband into the one that specifically works for the Wi-Fi. So. <laughs> oh, yay. Great. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day, August. C'est la femme,